So guys, today we have a special guest, a very unique guest. I'm very excited. He's a former PayPal finance employee. He's an entrepreneur, an investor, an illusionist. Um, he's been featured in some of the world's popular business and tech publications. Uh, he's a man known as a the billionaire's magician. He was dubbed by, that by Business Insider magazine. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Chan. Thank you, Thank Tony. you so much. Yep. Um, so I kind of just want to talk about your, your experience at PayPal before they were PayPal. Cause I actually didn't know anything about that. I didn't even know. I just assumed they started out as PayPal. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Yeah, I worked there when Elon Musk and Peter Thiel worked there. In fact, I worked there on, um, when they were on university Avenue and shortly afterwards they moved to Embarcadero. less than 300 employees. Um, I started off in customer service, then I told them I was a finance degree major, so I moved into finance, but it was entry-level finance. They would send these deposits that would be like 15 cents and 4 cents to verify your bank account. However, people didn't realize that that was our gift to them and you didn't have to pay it back. So what ended up happening was people would would send us coins or checks to pay us back when they didn't have to, but by law we were obligated to deposit that into their account. So I put everything in their account like a teller. And then I went to Silicon Valley Bank and put everything at Silicon Valley Bank in our account. So we credited their PayPal account. And that was pretty much what I was doing, but I would have some, I'd understand what was happening, but I wasn't really in high level finance, but I did have stock options and I vested 13 months of the stock options. I gave up the rest once I realized I was a glorified bank teller. <laughs> so what, what would you say your biggest takeaways were from working at PayPal? Were, and did you have any direct experience around Elon Musk and, or any interactions? Yeah, I probably did a trick for him at that time, but to be honest, I was just in a really tight circle. I, I did perform one show for everyone, I think like on a July 4th. He probably was there. I, I know that Peter Theo knew that I was a magician. Uh, but other than that, it was heads down, working really hard whenever I could sneak away to play ping pong or hit the vending machines. At that time, they would provide you lunch for free. And they, they had these vending machines and you just push A1 and things would fall out and you didn't have to put any money in there. Those were the days in the dot-com days where <laughs> they had perks, right? So did you first see PayPal becoming the conglom- conglomerate and the huge company that it is today when you were there back then? Yes and no. When I first heard heard of them, I knew that they were giving out these $5 deposits or $10 things when you opened up your account. So they were growing really fast. But in business, there's something called a burn rate. And they would tell us our burn rate is 13 months, or I don't remember what it was. But if we didn't get new funding within a certain amount of time, or if we didn't IPO within a certain amount of time, we would be out of cash. Uh, Okay. That's what they were telling us to make us, I guess, work harder. <laughs> and that's how all dot coms were at that time. So I was kind of like, maybe I should just jump ship. I don't know if these options are going to be worth that much because I know it's growing. But at the same time, there were Russian fraudsters and other things that we were figuring out. And they solved the parts of it. But at the same time, it was intense because we'd hear these meetings about things happening. 
Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. I, I didn't even know they were, what was the name of, of PayPal before they were PayPal? Uh, uh, Confinity and X.com merged. So my stock certificate actually came out, I think as Confinity, my contract came through as Confinity. Uh, and I think it's a DBA that they did a do business, doing business as PayPal. And then those two companies, Peter Thiel's company and Elon Musk's companies merged together. Okay. That's some good information for our listeners because I, for one, had no idea that PayPal was anything but PayPal. So that's, that's really interesting. Side story. When the yeah. X-Men movie came out, I think it was a first or second X-Men movie. We bought out the entire theater and they gave us X-Men shirts and <laughs> we had our company like, I guess, party there and I, I don't remember it was like an afternoon on a weekday that we went to watch x-men movies that's and i think awesome. it was like in 2000 or 2001 that's amazing yeah. that's amazing so how do you, how do you go from paypal to starting your own business as a magician and then you get picked up uh, in several publications and magazines you get dubbed the billionaire's magician like what's the transition from that from paypal to that I went to magic conventions and I started studying with the best. I would meet guys like David Blaine, David Copperfield, um, Justin Willman, and all the top names. Anyone you've heard of in magic, I've met and I've met them personally because I go to conventions every year. I would invest what I earned doing birthday parties and birthday parties were pretty good. I was doing birthday parties starting off at 200 to $250 for an quote, an hour's worth of work, but you'd probably put in five to 10 hours worth of preparation marketing and all the other yeah. things that you have to build up. But it was glamorous because I would go to these parties. I crash them and they pay me and I get to eat food. And I would go to these mansion parties um, and meet really famous people. Some of them I can't actually even talk about because some of them are actually under non-disclosure, but <laughs> CEOs, of some of the world's most famous places I've been to Germany, Shanghai, Las Vegas, uh, Japan, four times. Um, I've been to Sun Valley, Idaho, performing for the uh, Allen and company, um, gathering of media moguls and billionaires. And it was a hard thing in the beginning, but I'm not just a magician. I do magic, juggling, pickpocketing, and even a lot of iPhone tricks. My son, in fact, does the same business with me now. He's 13 years old. By the age of five, he was juggling three balls. By the age of eight, he was juggling five balls. By the age of 10, three flaming torches and picking pockets. And we'll probably put that in the show notes. I'm really proud of him because he is actually doing real pickpocketing in the streets of San Francisco and we're giving everything back. That's incredible. So does he have his own YouTube channel or... Uh like link that we can throw up in the description to, to show people. He has his own uh, Instagram, which is kid magician, but the awesome. YouTube it shares, it, he shares the same YouTube with me right now. Okay. Yeah. I'll throw your link up in the, in the description too. That's, that's really cool. That's an amazing transition. And, and you know, that's a lot of, so you must've really been into magic as a kid, right. To get your real, cause you obviously you have a love for it, right. Seems like you have a passion to do it. I have a passion, definitely, but you don't get good until you start going to these lectures. And these are live or online lectures. Like right now, they have Penguin Magic doing lectures. But I started really investing. I started taking seriously once people started paying you money. And yeah. oh, whether yeah. it's 50 bucks or 100 bucks or 250 bucks, now it's typically like a thousand bucks for an event. 
you know, everything's negotiable. If I'm not working a specific week, everything can come down. But if I'm doing a 12 show day, like I've done recently with COVID, everything moved online. Before the pandemic, I was doing up to six shows in a day. Three was really good day. After the pandemic, I was just knocking it out of the ballpark. We were not just doing 2X, we were doing 3X, what we did previous December's. That's awesome. That's congratulations. That's a incredible thing to transition into and you made it successful. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's such a great entrepreneur story, you know, and then, and also I was reading um, from some of the links that uh, you sent and some of the magazines I was reading online. So you've done events for, for companies like Apple, Charles Schwab, Chevron, Bank of America, you know, uh, LinkedIn, Merrill Lynch, Netflix, all the heavy hitters in the industry in Silicon Valley. And uh, it's, I was reading uh, Mark Zuckerberg, or is that Mark Zuckerberg, San Francisco General Hospital? Is that his hospital? Uh, well, he donated a lot of money to get his name on that hospital, but I've done Facebook like five or six times. And then we did the Zuckerberg Hospital. We've also done Zumingo and Zillow. But at that time, when I wrote out that thing on my website and I still haven't changed it but I have something from almost A to Z literally there's only I think a J and an X missing but I have multiple B's so I just said to myself I'm gonna get every single company that's a brand name and I completed that goal from A to Z I'm just trying to look for maybe Xerox and Johnson and Johnson those companies I, I didn't make that list until a lot later but that's where I started thinking this would be a great story because I also invested one share of stock in every company that hired me. So Google's hired me over 30 plus times and I have over 30 plus shares of Google. Wow. I hope you bought it at a good price because it's like thousands of dollars a share now. <laughs> you would have made some good money on that. Well, I bought it as it went along. So I'm paying more and more over time and yeah. more, more toward the ladder, yeah. but it's still a good story for some of these medias. Uh, places that I'm pitching because I'm telling them, Hey, I perform for these companies and I have X amount in Google stock because I buy one for every time I, I get hired by them. That's an, yeah, that's, that's a really smart idea. And those are all blue chip companies. So you can't really go wrong either. Um, yeah. So uh, as far as like your to, to transition over to uh, investing strategies, because I know we, when we first talked on the phone, we talked about PE ratios P ratios was something when I was a new investor is very confusing, very confusing to me. I know it's price to earnings and you can kind of tell if a company's overvalued or undervalued. Can you elaborate more to our listeners to help break it down in a way they can understand? So a PE ratio, typically a healthy PE ratio, I would say is maybe like a 13 to 20. But if you're looking at certain companies that are well overvalued, or in the growth stages, you might be paying 80 or even have negative earnings. So, so if you see a negative number in that PE ratio, it means that they're losing money. But you have to balance that out with the fact that they might be building factories, like what Tesla was doing at that time. So for example, when you're building a house, you're not going to be able to rent out that house. So you have to know what stage. And some houses just get built halfway and then they run out of money. So if you're yeah. not a savvy investor, you want to look for P.E. ratios of companies that are solid and not declining. Because Macy's might have a P.E. ratio of something like a five, 
but you realize that their market share is being eroded by Amazon. So if you think right. about it, PE ratio only shows part of the story. You want to look at the growth prospects and where it's going are, yeah. and the balance sheet, net income and things like that. But in general, if you look at a PE ratio, that's the thing that I guess Warren Buffett would look at right, right. off the bat. Yeah, it's definitely a, a good tool to uh, analyze a company. It's not the end all be all, but it's a good place to start. So, and that's something that's very confusing for for new investors. I, I I still took me a while to really understand what that was, and a lot of people, it just it makes no sense. You see P slash E on a brokerage that you're you know you're linked up that you're using, and it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I'm glad that we were able to hopefully break that down for people to understand. Um, yeah, it is the market value per share over the earnings per share. And that's how much money, for example, that it, that it would make, um, like for $20, you'd make $1, provided right. that, um, that that's the amount that they would make, but sometimes they won't pay it out. Like, for example, a company like Amazon's continually reinvests its dividends, so you'll see the price appreciation. So there's a difference between price appreciation, but also difference between what people know and people are buying based on investor sentiment, which sometimes people are just crazy and they just buy it up without understanding anything. And I think that's part of what Bitcoin is, although I missed out on it. I don't understand Bitcoin, so I don't invest in it. So I think it's very important that you buy what you know. And if you don't understand it, it's okay to miss out because sometimes people get caught up in a bubble. And then when that bubble corrects, you end up taking massive losses. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Um, I actually interviewed a a guy named uh, Lloyd Ross uh, yesterday. He's a guy that has a seven figure portfolio. And he he said the same exact thing. He's like, I don't invest in Bitcoin because I just don't understand it. Invest in companies that you understand and stick with what you know and companies you use every day, like Apple and Johnson and Johnson's a good one, you know? And the people at the top typically have a competitive advantage. So for example, they're able to charge higher premiums or margins. Um, Something that's great in the past was Google. And I still think it's great, but it's so big that the government says you're too good. So now they have antitrust. But if Google's PE ratio is very, very healthy, I think it was at, at around 33 as a PE ratio. But on top of that, its debt ratio or its debt load is very, very low. So it, it's, um, its debt to equity ratio is so low, they have, they're just a cash cow. So that's why they can have these slides. They're trying to spend money to write off those things off their taxes. In fact, if the economy went on a downturn, it could lay off workers or do other things, but it would still be a very healthy company. And management is a big thing too. For example, once the founder dies, it depends on if that DNA was replicated into the other people who are following. So for example, after a company passes, I think there's a slight decline. Even It just doesn't go up within that trajectory still will do good because it's still, still has that name but i i feel that you lose something when the founders pass absolutely especially uh which is a good transition to the next topic i was going to bring up one hot stock 
the past year has been Tesla. And I feel like a lot of that is sentiment with Elon Musk. Um, he's looked at as a, a, you know, a world changing innovator. And a lot of people are just putting their money in Tesla because they believe in him. And the value has gotten to a point where it seems so overvalued. It just doesn't really make sense anymore. Uh, what's your take on, on Tesla? I sold a bit of my Tesla. I still have some of it. But um, one thing that you can do in your retirement account is you can trade without any tax implications. For example, if I sold the stock, I wouldn't have to pay capital gains uh, long term or short term within my IRA. So for that trading segment, I actually sold most of my Tesla given one share just to see how much further it goes up. But in my taxable accounts, I kept my money just because I didn't want to have to pay taxes on it. Although I think it is a little bit overvalued. I'm just going to keep it because my returns or gains are so astronomical. Even if it goes down 10 or 15%, it's not going to make a big hit. But the way it's going, it's still going up. And I think it actually defies logic. But if you think about it, most people aren't savvy investors. So they just think I hear Tesla. What I did was I actually went to the factory or when, when I saw all these Tesla cars lined up and people are saying, oh, they're not going to be able to meet demand. I lived close by there. So I saw that and I was like, it's going to go up. The other thing is I read the news and I knew that by December, I think it was 21st. Uh, don't, don't quote me on this, but by a certain yeah. date, Tesla had the inclusion date, which means that all mutual funds and portfolios had to have a weighted average of a certain amount of Tesla by that time. So right. yeah, when I heard that, first, I believe. Yeah. When yeah. I heard that, I knew it was going to skyrocket up. I didn't know how oh, much, yeah. but I ended up reallocating everything in Google and Apple over to Tesla until the 21st. And then once the 21st hit, I started selling back some of my portfolio. And that in itself was like an instant 15% gain over a one or two month period. And you, that's, that's a brilliant strategy. Yeah. But most people didn't think that. And I even posted this on my Facebook to my friends. I said, inclusion dates coming up, but no one knew what that meant. So, and no one did the uh, work to actually find out what that would mean. And if you just know that these huge funds had to buy in, you knew that it was going to go up. I don't know long-term how much more it's going to go up, but I knew up till the 21st, it was a good buy. Yeah, for sure. It seems like there's a lot of potential. It seems like it's the price it's at now is priced for years out. I, I just don't understand it. And I'm not, I'm not in Tesla right now, but I do have, like you said, I do have a lot of, I invest in a lot of ETFs and I do have a lot of index funds that have Tesla in them. So if Tesla goes up, I'm going to, I'm going to make money. So I'm not yeah. super worried about it. Um, so that's a that's really great insight for all the people that are listening because uh, it's good to get your perspective and different investors' perspective, uh, perspective. And it's not really a right or wrong; it's just a very smart way to do it, especially with IRA accounts and uh, non-taxable accounts like you're doing, where um, you can sell stuff and you you don't have to pay the dividend tax or anything like that. Um, how long have you been investing for? Would you say what what year did you or how old were you when you started investing? I started investing about the time I had PayPal because I cashed out my stock and I bought some conservative stocks like Disney, which had over 600 per six or 800% returns since I bought it. So it's not, if I bought Amazon or anything else, I would have done a lot better. 
but I just bought something really safe, but I didn't realize. And, and this was also ingrained in culture because my mom said, Oh, don't invest in stock because your uncle lost lots of money in it. So you have this mindset of fear. So I never touched it. I just left that money there. And then I all, I also all lived a lifestyle and I was like, I'm young. I don't care. I can make more money. But once I hit 40, I'm like, crap, I haven't saved up a lot, but I do have a decent amount. And I looked at my Disney. I'm like, why didn't I put more money in Disney or any of these other companies? And I just started kicking myself. And I said, you know, you should listen to your parents, but sometimes they are wrong. And I should (laughs) have invested in these things that she thought were risky, but I actually had that background. I studied four years of business administration and I understood this stuff for her. She's a nurse. She wouldn't understand this. And there's certain things that you want to slowly adjust your risk when you get more comfortable. If you're, if you don't have a big net worth, you might want to be a lot more conservative. Like for example, if you only have a hundred thousand, you might only want to risk $10,000 and maybe 1000 in Bitcoin or something, but it's all about your risk appetite. Because if you get scared, you end up selling and then you ne- you get out of the game. So Correct. if you're a young, perf- young person, think about what you're willing to lose, which might be 5%, but Don't think of you making a lot of money in that. Think of it as your education more so than this big cash out. And that's why I was doing these small trades. And now it's okay to do it. Back in the day when I started trading, Charles Schwab was $7.95 or $6.95 a trade. So in order for me to make money, I'd have to wait a lot longer. Now the trade is literally one cent SEC fee. It's a zero commission trade robin hood changed the game they were the first first brokerage to do that and now everybody's doing it i think it was robin hood i wasn't sure but when i looked at um merrill lynch because of and the more money you have the better it is for you in this game because they charge you less fees like normally they still have this thing but they said you have enough net worth then they charge you nothing so the more you earn, the better the game favors people with higher net worth. Even the execution. The more you can risk, too, if you have yep. uh, capital. Uh, well, you're talking about risk tolerance. Do you own any bonds? I don't anymore. I may have in the past, but it's, it's just it's just not something. That... Just, yeah, there's just the return rate's just not there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's another question I get asked a lot on, uh, I'm in a, a couple of Facebook uh, stock market group forums, and um, I post these videos on there. We have thousands of uh, members in all of them, and a lot of the questions that come up are crypto, Bitcoin, a lot of like, what do you think of this penny stock or some obscure company? I just bought 40 shares, or, or what do you think of Tesla? It's always those questions, and then my first question to them is, well, well, let me ask you, are you an investor or are you a stock trader? Like, what's your goal? Are you trying to save for retirement? Like, because if you're trying to invest and save for retirement, you shouldn't. I mean, yeah, investing in like penny stocks and, and speculative stuff is, is good if you already have a good base in your portfolio and you have a good amount invested. But if you're someone that's just starting off, I, I think it's just smart to go with index funds or buy companies like you did, like Disney, like, you know, uh, uh, blue chip companies. You know what they are. 
you know, they've been around for a while, they're reputable, they have history. And these are companies that actually hired me. So I would say like, it, if Facebook hired me, I'd be like, oh, they paid me $1,000. So the most I can lose is 1000 And that was my th- thing. Yeah. Then I just started thinking, man, these guys are making money. This is insane. Like, why wouldn't I put more in it? And, <laughs> and, and now it became a big story because I've had uh, quite a few reporters use that as um, my entry way into there. Because uh, first of all, being pre-IPO PayPal is a big story. And um, having the portfolio with, and I even, even the companies that I don't really think too much of, I still keep one token share of that. And I'm su- sometimes surprised because they've hired me and I just want to remember that they actually hired me, which is very interesting to see which ones have gone up. And then the ones I thought would crash, some, a lot of them have crashed, but there's a couple of them really surprised Buy and hold, me. buy and hold. That's what I always say. Buy and hold. If you got a good company, just buy and hold, you know, um, so one other thing I wanted to, uh, to transition to, <laughs> yeah, I got a little cat walking around here somewhere. <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to transition to was, um, so you've been on a lot of popular business, uh, uh, publications or tech publications. What are some of the uh, articles and uh, news organizations you've been featuring. I see Business Insiders one. What are some of the other ones? This this past year, uh, last year, 2020, I was featured in CNBC twice. One to start off the year and one to end off the year. The I first one that. wasn't one that. Those, yeah. The first one wasn't that great. I actually just got featured for losing 8K of bookings. <laughs> But the last one I got featured for making 15K on Airbnb stocks IPO because they gave hosts the ability to buy in at $68. And on that first day, it popped out at $150 plus. And that was a $15,000 return within one day. So I was featured in that. Plus, Business Insider twice, um, Voyage LA. The Hustle went out to 2 million inboxes. And... I started getting really good at getting people to open my LinkedIn messages. I would pitch in the beginning. I would have like one out of a hundred people. Now I'm actually thinking of maybe opening up a PR company because I get like probably one in 10 or one in 15 open rates, which means that once they open it or connect with me, I can send them more information. And LinkedIn only allows you to put in, I think 300 characters not words, 300 characters. So you have to be really precise with your words and wording. Right. Yes. It's like Twitter. Uh, uh, (laughs) um, So like if someone wanted to hire you for, I mean, you do all kinds of events. You're doing a lot of uh, Zoom and Skype stuff now, right? Yep. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Check out danchanmagic.com. I have lots of videos there. Okay. And I also have Instagram. Yeah, Facebook. Okay. So that's good. Um, Trying to. So we got um, talking about. There was one more thing I wanted to get to, but I don't see it in my notes. So where do you see, 
you're making, from what I read on your website, you started out making $12,000 a month. They're not started out, but you grew it to making $12,000 a month. You had four employees, right? Before COVID hit. Yep. So where do you see, I know this year has been kind of rough. Where do you see your company going in the future? Do you like, where do you see your growth potential? Where can you see yourself expanding your, your business model? Right now I'm kind of coasting because I'm just enjoying the fact that I, I survived, but I, I want to learn, um, well, well, my Chinese is decent. I want to be proficient enough in Chinese to do a show and feel confident. My Chinese is a little bit broken in some ways, so it's not to the level where I would do a corporate event, but the market in China is very big, and I don't think any of them are doing my sort of magic. So I would more than double my market share if I learn Chinese to a level where I can perform. That's just one goal, even though it's always better to have goals that you can shoot for. Even if you don't get there, you get somewhere else that's very pleasant. Um, this market is definitely something that I can tap into, and I could probably do this for the next 20 years based on the number of repeat bookings. But I have a documentary on Netflix coming out. Um, wow. Well, I called? mean, I have a documentary that's coming out for film festivals, and I'm pitching it to Netflix. Okay. It, yeah. it hasn't been on uh, Netflix yet. <laughs> Sorry. It's the famous um, festival, um, that famous festival that all the premier, like top premier documentaries go to. Uh, I can't think of the name of it. Sundance Uh, is one of them. Sundance. Yeah. Sundance. Yeah. So you're going to have it uh, premiering there too, hopefully. I'm not sure. Yeah. There's, there's a a lot of, a lot of these festivals, you don't make a lot uh, going out there, but you get some, some bang for your buck. So yeah, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm going to do those, but those are still on the top of my uh, awareness. Um, I'm going to film more videos and I'm just going to, invest more now that before covid i was driving to a show an hour minimum i would set up half an hour or an hour early and then i perform my show for an hour and i drive back so that was four hours now i literally can set up for a show in about five or ten minutes i'm done i'm eating a lot healthier because of this and i'm making the same amount of money and some days i'll have 12 shows in a day where in the past three was stressful so every moment I've saved I've actually spent investing and not day trading but going in and out of certain positions like this is a more advanced strategy that only works with um, your retirement account like when Google goes up like a lot and Apple falls in the same day I might move my Google funds to Apple but that only works in a very specific because I'm very confident in Google and Apple and certain companies. So I'll reallocate my portfolio, but that has allowed me to make in some instances, 600% gains in certain. That's amazing. Yeah. And I know you, you talked about Neo and square, you made pretty big profits on Neo and square, right? Yep. I used Neo is one I had and I wish I kept it. (laughs) (laughs) I got nervous. I was like, that's why I'm not a good day trader. I got to stick to the index funds and just dollar cost average. And that's, that's my strategy. <laughs> yeah. Neil is uh, still interesting. I actually do not recommend Neil uh, as a buy right now, but I still have quite a bit in my portfolio of Neil just because I'm so far ahead. It, it just yeah. really doesn't matter uh, if it falls a little bit. I, I feel Neil is going to be like a second place 
to Tesla. So everyone in Asia thinks that it's going to be the Tesla killer. Neil will have a competitive advantage in Asia because of the way that um, Chinese companies or the government favors their own company. But once they come to America, they're going to have a lot more resistance because they have to be that much better. And they also have, they don't have a charging network that's as advanced as Tesla. So they're going to have a lot to climb through. Give them props for surviving and and being out there, but I think that Tesla is going to be, it's going to be a lot harder to overtake the domestic winner. I still have a hundred, today I have, between me, my kids, and my wife, I have 135 shares of Neil, but, wow. but I've sold most of them, to be honest. I had a lot more than that. Yeah. Well, we'll see where the future takes us with Neo. Um, so I, I'd say our because it is getting a little late in Connecticut for me. Um, I'd say our final message is like, what would your final message be to people that are going to listen to this podcast as far as uh, your, like what, what advice can you give our new investors out there? Be willing to make small investments and think of it as an education. Don't look for the big home runs or the big wins and be if if you are looking for these big home runs be willing to know that you can lose some money on, on this because invest if you're investing and you're not savvy and you're just listening to stock tips from friends and you don't understand these metrics like debt ratios and pe ratios and also understand the fundamental business model of what they're competing in you're not investing you are gambling don't fool yourself if you think you're investing and you're buying something that you totally don't understand. When you're listening to the guy who's driving your Uber and they're telling you a stock tip and you're listening to it, that's when we're in a bubble and it still can get bigger, this bubble. But the thing is, you're talking to these guys who aren't driving your Uber. And, I, and I, I've been there and I've been like, oh, why don't, and, and they're faking it. They said, oh, I'm doing this. I'm like, if you were really driving an Uber, the only reason why I would drive an Uber, which I did for one week, was just before I wanted to invest like a thousand, like I was thinking maybe I'm going to invest 500 or 1,000 shares in it. Then I was like, I want to know what it's like. There being is so here. much debt too, Uber. If you look at their balance sheet. Yep. Yeah. But I wanted to know, so I actually I drove for Lyft when my car went in for service, but I specifically had a reason but for driving there. But yeah. Typically, there's these guys who are call themselves investors, and they're just playing around with small amounts. And that is not investing. That is, you need to come back and get an education, whether it's LinkedIn learning tools or going online and listening to people with degrees to, to some extent, because they know something, but also listen to people who don't have degrees and find out both sides of the story. Yeah, and I think that's a really great message, and I appreciate that. And I think... That's kind of what we're trying to do because as a, when I was a new investor, I made so many mistakes like that. And I want to talk to people that are experienced and have the knowledge that we can share with our audience and help them learn. So, and that's why I really appreciate you coming on and you're such an interesting guy and everybody can go and find you on your Instagram and um, I'll, I'll, I'll attach all the links in the description below and hopefully we can get you some business out of this too. And that'd be great. And when your videos come out and your documentary comes out, I'll definitely recommend that to everybody too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tony.
but I really appreciate it. Like I said, it's getting pretty late. I got to get up early for work, but um, hopefully we can do this again sometime in the future. Thank you. Would right. look looking forward to that. Thank you, sir. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers out there. Um, one thing that would help us out a lot is if you give us a rating and please leave a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. And if you have any suggestions for future shows of, of any type of subjects you would want us to cover, let us know. We're open to all suggestions. And um, also, the last thing I would say is it's also very, very helpful if you go over to our YouTube channel and you subscribe to that as well. And the YouTube channel has a lot of great, uh, we added a lot of photos and helpful aids that will help you understand a little bit better the things we discuss in the podcast. But um, once again, thanks for all your support and uh, stay tuned for the next episode.